When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Tuesday, May 14th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you miss a live show, you can catch a replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, really wherever you you get your podcast as well as at londonbridge.com if you want to interact with the show you can text in a question comment or complaint to 929-274-3437 or if you're brave enough leave a voicemail with the same and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437 this week the conference finals in the national basketball association are set but how did we get here We'll discuss all that and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. Even with a couple weeks off in between, the excitement continues for our show here especially after a weekend where the Western and Eastern Conference Finals are set in the National Basketball Association. Exciting finishes to get to where we are. Storylines galore, at least for the next 24 hours or so. But we can enjoy them at least because it was a great weekend of hoops. It did tell us some stories of what we should expect to see as far as the final four teams egging it out to get to the NBA Finals. Finally, we can get a little bit of that feel in the NBA where, okay, we can start paying attention now because we're getting down to the nitty-gritty a little bit here. NBA action, as they used to say, the, the slogan with the commercials, fantastic. And even though some of the hoops was not the prettiest over the weekend, uh, you love intense competition, and that's what you saw Friday and two game sevens uh, on Sunday uh, as our conference semis, or excuse me, our conference finals are now ready to rock. Milwaukee rolling to the conference finals. Toronto with a wild and woolly game seven win at the gun, courtesy of one of the most memorable shots in NBA playoff history by Kawhi Leonard. And uh, uh, don't look now, but with or without. Uh, the best player in the NBA and in the world, uh, Kevin Durant. There's those uh, those pesky underdog, uh, seven and a half point underdog Friday night, uh, defending champ Golden State Warriors. Remember them? Uh, finding a way uh, to once again knock off Houston in Houston. Uh, and surprisingly uh, to me, Portland overcomes a three for 17 shooting nightmare for their best player Damian Lillard and and comes back from 17 down in the first half to knock off Denver in Denver and our conference finals are set and ready to rock young man a lot of storylines to get into and we can start with One of the bigger storylines, if not the biggest, at least on paper for most of the games, though it finished before we had some fireworks happen Sunday night, the Golden State Warriors beating the Houston Rockets. Now, this has turned into a tale as old as time, though the Rockets would lead you to believe that they're one hair away from making sure that they will beat the Warriors in advance, though we've seen otherwise time and time again. This time, though, it appeared the Warriors would be vulnerable when Kevin Durant went down with an injury to his leg. He was pretty much out of the series, at least as far as we heard injury-wise, so it would be up to these scrappy Golden State Warriors (laughs) team that 
might have a only, finals or two only, under their belt. Only three titles under their belt. Yeah, yeah. they're okay. See if they can find a way. A unanimous MVP thrown in. I mean, they're okay. How would they fare without KD? Well, you would think that the Rockets, based on what we had seen, this particular series would give them a run for their money. But losing game five... When Durant went down and the door opened for them to take advantage of it and they couldn't, to me, that marked the end of the series. Even if they were to somehow win game six, going back to Golden State for a game seven, it just didn't seem to be in the cards. And it ended up being quite a pitiful end to the series, if we will. Just from all the trash talking that we get from this Houston team, year in and year out, especially this year, to audit last year's conference finals to say, we would have advanced if this and this and this. There's been excuse upon excuse, and finally it seemed like they would be able to cash in on those excuses with Kevin Durant out, with some momentum, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen on the road. It didn't happen when we thought it should at home. I don't know what they do from here, but Brian in North Carolina made a good point today on Mad Dog Sports Radio saying that this team now is looking to be a more extreme version of the 2001 Oakland A's, where they're so obsessed with the analytics, they're so obsessed with what they're doing in their binders and off the court and what they should be doing just based on the sabermetrics and the math that they can't put all that together on the court. And it's amazing to see James Harden as a historic player this year turning into, along with his other teammates, just a hated team. They became so villainous that losing to the Warriors, even though they should be the team that we're villainous against based on what they've done the past several years, we're like, knock them out. Get them out of here. And now that they've lost, it's almost a relief that we don't have to deal with the Rockets anymore, which is a shame. It has become very uh, in vogue, and me leading the pack, to despise the Rockets. And it's a combination of things. Uh, The style of play is very difficult to watch. Uh, you know, focused around hard, you're dribbling the basketball for anywhere from 15 to 20 seconds at the shot clock, pound, 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 and then he goes. It's very monotonous. Uh, their penchant for constantly barking at the officials, uh, the style that Harden and Paul use in terms of uh, you know, diving into the defender to try and draw fouls, constantly complaining. Uh, when they hit the deck after shots, looking at the referees, drawing fouls, attempting to draw fouls. And their analytic framework is based upon uh, the approach in the half-court offense being centered around three things. Three-point shots, layups, and drawing fouls. Uh, specifically, three-point fouls. Uh, you know, three-shot fouls uh, by finding a way to either draw or cause contact and get officials to blow the whistle and put them at the foul line. You know, how many times we see James Harden go to the line this year for an excess of 20 times in a game? Didn't see that this postseason. Not in this series. And even the other night in game six, even though he shot 12, James Harden only made seven free throws, including two huge misses in a three-shot situation in the fourth quarter. So even when they did get to the line, uh, specifically when he got to the line in big spots, uh, they couldn't get it done. But they become so monotonous to watch the style or lack thereof, if you want to call it that, where the ball is so focal, uh, excuse me, focused on his just nonstop pounding for nearly the entire shot clock in the same spot, and then they make their move. Now, granted, it works well for them in the regular season. They have shooters that spot up, seem to know what he's going to do, when he's going to do it. You get in the postseason, everything changes. The defense changes. The way the game is officiated changes. The game becomes much more half-court oriented. Uh, And the supporting players have to play a bigger role. And the Houston supporting players did not really come up big uh, you know, in, in crunch time of these games. 
Uh, Tucker had a good series, and Eric Gordon was good in spots, but they got very little, if anything, from their bench. And in the last couple of games of the series, uh, you know, Gordon did not do a lot. Tucker had you know, a really good game in uh, in game five, but you know, Chris Paul had a terrible series until game six. Uh, was turnover prone, looked looked very old to me, uh, very guardable, uh, almost like they were trying to force Chris Paul to beat them. Uh, at least I thought that was the defensive approach the Warriors took a number of times. And in game six, like I said, he played very well. And it's far and away his best game of the series. But this series for Houston came down to game six at home in a killer be killed situation. Five consecutive, excuse me, five consecutive trips at 97-0, and they could not score. They could not score or get to the foul line at 97-all. Five, they got stops. They didn't get stops before and after. They got stops during that stretch when no one scored, and they could not get a bucket. They could not get to the free throw line. One of those possessions, they actually got two offensive rebounds and had three different possessions in one possession, and they could not score. And finally. Golden State breaks through with a little lay-in from Looney off a nice pass who played a wonderful game six. And then came Steph to finish it off. And finally, a three from Thompson. And Houston's home because in the most important times of these games, game five, as you noted earlier, uh, after Durant went down, and game six at home, these games on the line, crunch time, when champions are made, when franchises winning franchises are born they simply could not perform they could not score in the big moments they could not get stops in the big moments they had no answers and whether it's james Harden, whether it's chris paul whether it's supporting players they were all guilty uh and meanwhile the entire golden state crew from i mean steph curry doesn't score in the first half of game six. And then, my God, this is going to be another one of his horrendous games like he had a couple of games prior to that. And lo and behold, he scores 33 in the second half. Uh, Thompson bails him out in the first half with 21 when he doesn't score. And then everybody else, you, know, you take the attitude of, oh, oh, okay, Iguodala, you got to beat me. And lo and behold, he's knocking down threes like he's a, a young Colt again. And Looney doing a tremendous job in the paint and around the basket, keeping balls alive, defending. I mean, Draymond Green playing probably the most spirited basketball that we've seen him play clearly in the second half of this season, if not the entire season. His shooting stroke is not what it was, but it's better. And he's playing the kind of basketball that drives you absolutely nuts if you're his opponent and makes you just thrilled to watch it if you're rooting for Golden State or on his team, because he does all those little things, and including without KD in the lineup, you notice how much more of a facilitator he is. The ball is in his hands much more in the half-court offense as a passer. Backdoor cuts, uh, guys coming off the screens, jumping threes. He doesn't touch the ball nearly as much in the half-court offense uh, when KD is there. And the half-court offense is much different. And I think a thing that we, we don't give enough credence to is not just his greatness as a coach, but his ability to adjust uh, with or without his stars. Uh, he's done it with Steph Curry in and out of the lineup with injuries. And now he's doing it you know, with KD again out where the offense runs kind of, kind of, sort of the way it used to be before KD was there. A lot more movement, a lot more guys running off screens, catch and shoot, etc. cetera. Um, either way, it all works. And there they are in the conference finals again. If you're a fan of the Houston Rockets, I just don't know how you can look at this team and feel optimistic about it. I just don't. From going from the regular season, watching James Harden seemingly put together an entire season's worth of the 30-plus points game streak, right? It, it seemed like he just carried that for the entire season. And there was a point where he needed to do that for them to win basketball games. I'm not taking anything away from him there. 
But we're getting this narrative now from James Harden where the playoffs come and, oh, he's too tired from the work that he put in in the regular season. He's wearing down in the fourth quarter. Or, well, he didn't have a great game there. And there's always something that they can point to for why he wasn't able to perform. Game five, the lights are bright. It's your stage now. Everything you've shown us in the regular season and the series to get here, put it all on the hardwood and let's go. He shoots one field goal in the final eight minutes. And I understand that the offense works better when he can facilitate and pass the ball and he doesn't have it in his hands all the time and he doesn't do that, dribble it through his legs six times in a row seemingly to lull the defender asleep so he can take that step back three-pointer. You can't not shoot the ball for the final eight minutes in that high of a game. Just chuck one up, man. I mean, we've seen games from him where he'll shoot it from anywhere. You have to sort of force the narrative there and do something. They don't, they lose, they go home, and we think, well, maybe this will be the answer. It wasn't because Steph Curry came out of his shell, as you mentioned, in the second half to have one of his best games of his career in the postseason, and the Warriors put them away. Chris Paul is going to have to be paid for the next several years way too much money I'm not sure who else you can bring into this system to get I the success they need. I don't know how you can. I don't either. That's the, that's the huge fear of, like, what are you going to do with Mike D'Antoni as the head coach, who we've seen is a, a good coach, but uh, I don't know if he's going to be a I'll-get-you-to-the-finals coach. James Harden, we just gave you the narrative of. He's great in the regular season. He has historic games. But when push comes to shove at the end of the game – all we've really gotten from him and the Rockets has been, eh. And if you can't beat the Warriors without Kevin Durant, which many will lead you to believe will be the Warriors next year, not to say they're going to leave his spot open. They'll bring in a couple new pieces to make the Warriors full again. I don't know how you can lace it up and put them on the court again next year and expect a well, different result. This is a victory for those of us uh, who favor the from the old report side. <laughs> For those of us who are old school, uh, even though the Warriors represented a form of basketball that we weren't thrilled with because it was so focused on the three-point shot, but at least it involved ball movement. It involved screens. It involved the ball not touching the ground nearly as much. It wasn't so much dribble, 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 shoot. It was move the ball, diagonal passing, coming off of screens, uh, play good defense, get out on the break, find the open man, hit the three, spot up. Yes, frustrating at times because a guy would drive on the break and he'd pass up a five-footer and kick it out for a three, which still, but if it's a wide open three for a Steph Curry or, or a Clay Thompson, it's tough to pass up because they're such tremendous shooters and they really are fabulous shooters. Everybody has bad game shooters. Uh, but the point is, we're talking about guys who are taking shots that are there to take. They're not forcing shots. They're not chucking shots. They're not looking for nothing but those shots. It, it's, again, ball movement, running guys off the screens, dribble penetration and kick, where at least your half-court offense is in constant motion versus the Houston style of stagnant, half-court offense with everybody standing around and watching James Harden uh, or or Chris Paul, for that matter, you know, for 15 seconds. And then, okay, here we go. And what comes off of this? Does somebody penetrate, kick for a three to, to a corner? Does somebody pull up and chuck a three? Does somebody uh, dive in and look at the official after they fall on the ground? Uh, versus... You saw when when Steph Curry was struggling, what do you want to the basket? Old school. When you can't knock down a shot, when you are struggling, what do you do? You go to the basket. Go to the basket, beat your guy, get into the lane, draw contact, get to the free throw line, see the ball go through the bucket a couple times. Maybe that'll get you going. And the thing that about about Steph is that he is not, you know, he's not a. You think he's 5'10 when you look at him, but he's 6'3". But he's not this incredibly imposing specimen. When he goes to the rack, you know, he's the littlest guy out there, but he's not afraid. 
He's fearless when he goes to the basket. And he will put that shot up in traffic and take hits. And he's got that uncanny touch. And remember, early in the series, he had a horrendous game where he missed the four layups. After he missed four layups, he decided to try a dunk. All right, there's the dunk in just a nightmare of a game. And that's when you show your greatness, when you have a game like that. And can you rebound? Well, great guys. Great. You know, we always say, how can they? I've said this to you time and time again. We always say as fans, boy, how can they come back? from? Because that's what they do. That's what great, that's what professionals do. That's what great players do. You know, you miss a big kick. How can you go back out? That's, that's what you get paid to do. And you're going to split the uprights on the next one. Right? I mean, you strike out three times. You got to go to the plate the fourth time when the base is loaded. And you get a big base hit. How do you do that? You could put the ball in play all night because that's what you get paid to do. Because that's why you're great. Because you have the ability to do that. You know, how in the world can you go out there and knock down that shot after you couldn't put the ball in the ocean all night if you're sitting in a boat? Because you have no conscience. Because you know deep down inside I've done this before and I could do it again. And what happened before didn't even happen. That's the mindset you have to have. And that's what makes greatness. And the Warriors prove it time after time after time. And if they win this championship, you have to anoint them as much of a naysayer as I was, you know, a couple of years ago, calling him like our fearless leader, Chris Russo, a nice little team. You know, and when they didn't win the title with 73 wins, we castigated them. And rightfully so, because that season is not finished. But if they win their fourth title in five years, which no one has done since Red Arbeck Celtics, then you have to anoint them as one of the great runs in the history of the NBA because they have done it in different fashions uh, with basically the same core group, of course, but they've done it against different teams and they've done it at home and they've done it on the road and they've done it with their backs to the wall and they continue to do it. Whether or not they pull it off this year remains to be seen, but so far they're there. And as I said before, this Maybe the one championship, if they pull it off, where you've got to simply find ways to win. Where you don't roll over teams in four, in five, worst case scenario, in six. Where everything goes six or seven, and you have to gut out injuries. And close game after close game. And finding ways to win from guys off the bench. And you know, guys picking each other up where one of your stars has a bad game or a bad half. And the other guy comes through huge to bail him out. That's what doesn't make just championships. That what's what's make what makes dynastic champions. And now they have momentum. And as you mentioned, when you go on runs like this, when you go on year after year runs like this, dynasties like this, momentum can go a long way. And they have a little bit of that, just what they're able to do in those two games against the Rockets. Now going into what at least a handful of people will be calling the Curry Bowl as Seth Curry gets to go up against his older brother in a hopefully exciting series. For me, as someone with not a huge rooting interest in the Blazers or the Nuggets, if I had to pick my two stars from one of the teams, unfortunately for Jokic or Jamal Murray, who was out of his mind coming onto the scene in the NBA, not to say that this was his coming out party, but for a lot of people it was. The same for Joker. What they were able to do in that seven-game series, you got to really look at the Nuggets as a team that's not going to just lie down. They were phenomenal this series, except for game seven, where they, for whatever reason, forgot how to shoot. And C.J. McCollum played all of his, out of his mind, not only in game seven, but in several games before this. A phenomenal series for him, taking the team on his back when Dame Lillard didn't have it in him necessarily in that last game. A great performance to get them over the hump in Game 7, now having to face the Warriors. But before giving predictions on how they might fare against Golden State, which to me I don't think may necessarily be great, still a great series win where at times in this series it looked like they wouldn't be able to overcome the Nuggets. I think sometimes it's just nice to step back and say, wow, like those two guys, the team as a whole, they can ball in Portland. Nuggets second, uh, I believe best record in the league at home this year. And lost the huge second game. The Blazers kept battling and 
did so with a mediocre series from their best player, the guy who we've now put into that pantheon of great players, uh, swept out last year in the playoffs, starts the postseason with the walk-off winner against Oklahoma City that he knocks in from about 70 feet. I'm just joking. You know, from, from 35, the 35, 35-7-foot pull-up over uh, a, a totally shocked Paul George who was way far too late to get out and get the hand up. Uh, and Dame just walked right into it. And he has a mediocre series and you're basically, he's wearing goat horns if they lose yesterday. Three for 17 in game seven, a miserable shooting game. And his backcourt partner, who is not nearly as renowned, out of Lehigh, who in his postgame interview was just off the charts at courtside, saying, you know, in terms of overcoming adversity and what you have to do, you say, <laughs> Lehigh. So I, I know what it's about. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. It's amazing. We continue to say, wow, how incredible is Kawhi Leonard? And it's amazing still that we can't put our finger on what Kawhi Leonard is even at this stage of his career. As you mentioned, he's a finals MVP, but he's still doing stuff that I guess we're not paying enough attention to him leading up to those moments where we go, well, of course, it's Kawhi Leonard. Of course he made that shot. Of course he made that play. Of course he took over the game. Because there's still moments, as you also mentioned, where he'll do something as miss a free throw or make a bad pass or have a bad moment to happen to him and you're quicker to go to the negative than you are for the positive of his game. It's interesting in that series that he decided, whether him or the head coach, he has to take over the game to get them over the hump, to get them to beat the 76ers. The Raptors are a good, very good team, but they still don't have that second guy who can be the C.J. McCollum to Dame Lillard, if, if we will. I root for Kyle Lowry to be that guy. It, it has not happened I, love, I just love him. You know, I love him in there in the paint against the beam, trying to strip the ball, drawing charges. You know, he, he, he plays incredibly hard. He's got such, such you know, grit and plays such a gutty game. But so many times he just... I don't want to say it disappears, uh, just do- doesn't play his best uh, in, in the games that are most important. Yesterday, he was mediocre. He wasn't bad. He just, you know, he wasn't special. And they don't have, they never seem to have that second special guy, even their best player you know, in the postseason in the past. You know, when, when Lowry's been terrific, DeRozan came up small. That's why they make the deal. Right. And they bring in Danny Green, who's a championship player, uh, to help complement the deal, uh, who can always hit a big three-point shot for you and is an excellent defender. And they bring in Kawhi and they take a shot for the one year. And if he doesn't stay, he doesn't stay. But you know, this deal is already, even if he doesn't stay, this deal has already worked out for them. Because they got to a conference final, they got over the hump where they couldn't get against LeBron, and he did it. So it's already paid dividends. Will he stay? Who knows? No idea. Would I love him to come to the Lakers? Absolutely. Because he's a perfect fit wherever he goes. Because he's quiet. You know, he's cool. It's a curious case of Kawhi Leonard. You don't know what to think. He always, he's always got you trying to figure him out. Dumb like a fox. All right? He knows what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. I need load management. I'm playing 60 games. All right? Love it or leave it. I'll be ready for the postseason. Lo and behold, they're the two seed. 
they're in the conference finals because their best player is healthy and raring to go in the postseason and has been you know, one of the two best players you know, in the world and with Durant out, the best player in the world. And on the losing side, a reporter had the balls to ask Joel Embiid how he felt about the process now. And of course, he dismissed it saying, I don't give a damn about the process. I think that's an exact quote, but if not close enough to it, where he dismissed that type of question. Incredibly emotional after that loss, which some people were getting on him for. I didn't hate it. He talks a lot of game, but it's somebody that can back it up at times so you don't hate him for doing so and obviously is very passionate about how he is as a player on the Sixers like he's the guy that shows that emotion both positively and negatively and I don't hate that I think if he's on your team you love him for it I think you can enjoy quote unquote hating him for it as an opponent I love him as a player I'm just not sure if he's surrounded by enough to get them over the hump. Another year where they're exiting the same place as they did last year. I'm not sure their head coach makes it to next year, which is a shame for him because he was with them when they were at their lowest point and now could be one of those coaches that doesn't get to reap the reward. I'll uh, Mark Jackson. We'll just give him a shout out on our show because he hasn't been in any of the coaching uh, searches going on in the National Basketball Association. But you get what I mean. He might be out. They might think that's the answer. I don't know who else they bring in. I don't know who else stays next year. Jimmy Butler could be gone. J.J. Redick. There's a list of guys that next year might say, I don't really want to stick around for this quote-unquote process. It was disappointing if you're a Sixers fan because you would have felt if they got that win and at least move on to the next series, it might not be a total revolt next year and more people might like to see it through for another season. And the frustrating part is it's not like you went into the Raptors uh, arena and got embarrassed. It was right there. Down early. You went on the big run, uh, took a five-point lead, then got hit with a run, and then came back, and it was right there. It was right there for you. You had the lead in the fourth quarter on the road to game seven. Three straight trips, as you said, you don't get a shot. Two shot clock violations and a turnover. And, you know, Embiid went six for 17. Uh, Jimmy Butler playing gutty, uh, playing hard, big shots down the stretch, uh, the big layup to tie it. But Ben Simmons, you know, where, where are you in the fourth quarter? And B. Not in the box, settling for jump shots and beaten really by one guy, plain and simple, beaten by one guy uh, who took over the game and found a way to beat you. The talent is enormous. I mean, it's a, you know, Simmons is an incredibly gifted player, but he didn't want to shoot the ball. You know, it's still about scoring points. Who puts the ball in the basket the most? If you don't shoot it, you can't score. He's got to make an effort to, to improve his offensive game. He doesn't have to be a three-point shooter, but with his athleticism and his skill set and his understanding of how to make people better by getting them the ball in right spots, you diminish your ability to do that by not being a threat at all offensively where you're passing up six-footers. I mean, he's six foot nine, six foot ten, and he's six feet away from the basket, and he's not shooting the ball. I mean, you have to have some offensive prowess, some notion uh, to be a threat to the defense, even if it's just because you want to make everybody better. And Abib's got to get Abib's got to get in shape. You know, I mean, he was he was hurt a lot at Kansas. Of course, we know he's missed almost two seasons worth of action as a sixer, but he's got to get himself in physical condition. He's got to get stronger. He's got to get tougher. He's got to get healthier. 
there always seems to be some malady, whether it's you sick, whether it's the foot, whether it's the knee, whether it's the back, whatever it is, you know, he's got to find a way to build his body up and be a physically stronger player who has more endurance. And he needs to get down in the box and use his skills more down there and get to the line instead of hovering around the three-point line and shooting jump shots. Yeah, he can do it. It's great. But you know, leave that to J.J. Redick. Leave that to Jimmy Butler. Leave that to Tobias Harris. Get down where you belong, where you can get easy points. And I, love, I, I, I think Jimmy Butler, to me, was the star of the postseason for the Sixers, both on the court. And I've never been a big Jimmy Butler fan. I thought it was a little bit of prima donna. Uh, seemed to play his way out of Chicago. Seemed to play his way out of Minnesota. Never satisfied. I would be in you know, a second banana or a third banana. Now he comes here to Philly. And really, down the stretch in the postseason, played not only terrific basketball in terms of a multifaceted, diverse game, but was willing to you know, really cover the young guys and get there you know, into the press conferences with them. And when they didn't know what to say or want to say, he's the one who stood up. He's the one who took the heat. He's the one who was counted and spoke up for his teammates and really was you know, the adult, so to speak, uh, with the kids. Uh, I would love to see him in L.A. as a second fiddle to LeBron if that's the way he's going to play and that's the way he's going to carry himself. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to offer him a max contract. I would think they would. Uh, I think they'll probably turn Tobias Harris loose. I don't think J.J. Redick would come back. Uh, I don't see any opportunity for them to go out and get anybody else because they're going to have cap issues. So the question is how many of these guys are going to come back? Uh, you never know with the free agency anymore. But at least with these guys, unlike the other ones, these could still be the guys looking for it. They're talking about now all the, the top free agents. Well, it's not so much they're chasing a championship here because they all won one. You know, KD's, you know, got his two. And, you know, Kawhi's got his. Uh, Kyrie's got his. Butler doesn't have his. So... Will he be somebody that is looking to go somewhere where he thinks he can win a championship? Does he want to go play with LeBron? Time will tell. Uh, Philly, an immensely talented team. Very disappointing because, as you said, finishing right where they finished last year. Second round exit. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, speaking of the Lakers, and I want to fast forward a little bit to make sure we get that in, since that is both of our favorite teams. <laughs> must, must we? Must we? I guess. I- I'm sure the listeners have been clamoring the entire episode to get our takes on the Lakers coaching search. And a quick summary, if y'all didn't know, for the other game and series that we didn't mention, the Bucks made very quick use of the Boston Celtics. I guess my surprise for that series was that the Bucks were able to win it so quickly, and it seemed in the last couple games the Celtics just were ready to move on with it. Well, They're ready to blow seemed, everything up and move on with it, which It, it just seems as though... A simple overview, which is far too simple, but the facts are that the Celtics were a better postseason team last year with the younger guys, specifically Tatum and Brown uh, and Rozier, getting more time as a result of the injuries to Gordon Hayward and uh, to Kyrie Irving than they were this regular season and postseason where they have everybody back and healthy, but never seem for an extended period of time to be in the same kind of sync mindset. And I don't want to say just sharing the basketball, but just they seem so much more on the same page last year in the postseason than the entire year this year. And... Now we'll see what happens with Kyrie Irving, who had a miserable 
series against the Bucks, one game worse than the next after they won game one. And then they just got disposed of in short order. And we'll see what happens with him as a free agent. Do they make a big deal and finally decide, okay, we'll give up Tatum and trying to get Anthony Davis you know, away from New Orleans and Kyrie stays? An intriguing postseason coming up for Danny Ainge and the Celtics. Very much so. And Danny Ainge being a magician with the draft and getting the picks here and there and trading up. Who knows what's up his sleeve for the future of the franchise. I would think Kyrie Irving won't be a part of that. That's just where my gut is telling me. I know he wanted to be the guy. This is what he wanted to be in Boston as the guy, and it didn't work. To be blunt about it, it unfortunately for him, didn't work. I don't know if he's going to move to play along with somebody else. Maybe he'll decide one more year, me the guy, Gordon Hayward gets a little bit more in tune. I don't really know what happened to him either. Jason Tatum, another year in his belt. We'll see. The Celtics have a lot of unanswered questions. Before we get to the Lakers, that that is really – if you ask me every major free agent, what do I think they're going to do? At least I would be able to give you an opinion of what I think they're going to do. With Irving, I have no clue. I have absolutely no idea, no inkling. You hear so many different things from so many sources – including him, that I have absolutely no idea if he's going to stay, if he's going to go, and if he goes, where he's going to go. And it's hard to listen to him too, Al, because he's, he's a strange dude, man. <laughs> Some of the stuff he says, non-basketball related, I don't know. Maybe another year at Duke would have done him good, both on the court and in the classroom, just to maybe put a couple, uh, tie a couple loose ends together, dot the I's, cross the T's, whatever. But speaking of the Lakers, it's been building for weeks now. The rumor mill is spun like we've never seen it spun before as the LeBron James reporters from the four-letter network look for things to do since he's not in the postseason. I see some of them are out there still covering the playoffs here and there, but I'm sure they're longing to get their LeBron James feature stories in. Well, we have a couple on the docket because of what broke the day ago. We have our head coach. Not only do we have our head coach for the Lakers, we have our assistant coach, too, Al, to help. Frank Vogel, head coach, Jason Kidd, secondary coach. We went from Ty Lue is coming here. Ty Lue had a birthday cake, Los Angeles Lakers themed, celebrating his return to L.A., Put that AI step over in the back burner. It's time to win championships in the yellow and purple. Okay. Well, they lowballed him, supposedly. He didn't like that. They tried again. He said, nah. Alvin Gentry was also on the docket. He went elsewhere. Decided he didn't want to be any part of that. We had a couple other names thrown around. Who's coming? Who's going? Who, who knows? Everybody that was on the list of they'll get him, it didn't work. And then we got to the point the other day where it was, <laughs> we don't even know what direction they're going to head in. They had six, seven, eight coaches interviewed. I've never seen such a cluster than we have for this vacancy. And as much as Frank Vogel, like coming in on paper, his resume as a head coach, you could argue for coaching LeBron on day one is better than any of the coaches previously that LeBron James has had on day one. I mean, with the Pacers, he lost to LeBron right at the end. It wasn't an awful coach, but the fact that he went twice, but the fact that he wasn't in the discussion and then was just thrown in the soiree, the same with Jason Kidd, who they, they had the gall to say would be a great head coach. This is what we're left with. Frank Vogel, and they'll be Jason Kidd. And I'm assuming maybe they'll throw another name in the mix, too, as another assistant. I, I'm, would, it I, be, would it be a Lakers sideline, courtside, if I didn't see Brian Shaw? <laughs> you know what? That's, that's the perfect third name for this. I, I, I'm, I was a little surprised. Is Jim, is, Jim, is Jim Clemens still out there? <laughs> I don't know why all of a sudden 
they weren't just hiring the coach and then allowing him to pick his assistants. They thought that they had to do everything for Frank Vogel. But the roster is, is, we'll say, halfway built, Al. We have the head coach. We have what's deemed as the assistant. We have a piece of the pie that is the future of the Lakers. How are we feeling about it? I'm confused. I'm dazed. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm dead set against the Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd combination. I just don't like the way this has been handled at all. I wanted a full-blown president of basketball operations to come in. I wanted them to try and get uh, the guru from Toronto, who's still working, obviously. Um, maybe Sam Presti uh, from OKC, whose season is over, and you know, whose future there doesn't bode to be very bright because they're cap-strapped uh, with their two super-duper stars and their big center. So they really have got themselves kind of boxed in financially. So I thought reaching out there would be a possibility. I thought Jeannie Buss was ready to branch outward of the Laker family to make this a organization that was going to compete with the other teams who are, I don't want to say driven by analytics, but a great deal of advanced scouting, studying players, the way the game is played today. Again, not just total and complete analytics, a la the Rockets, but just in, in terms of scouting players throughout the world, you know, the various European leagues, and you know, the players who are coming out 15, 16, 17 years old when they're getting drafted, playing in Europe a couple of years before they come here, etc. Um, because it's a global game now. And it seems like she still wants to run her father's franchise like it's a family business. Everybody involved, and I love ex-Lakers being involved, but I want that ex-Laker to be Terry West, all right, who has experience at being, if not the greatest front office guru in the history of the NBA, damn close to it, whether it's GM, president, scout, you name it. I mean, Jerry West has just simply been as good as it gets, not only with the Lakers, you know, built Golden State. All right. Now he's working for the Clippers. Uh, she drove the brothers out. That was a good thing. But Kobe's agent comes in, becomes the GM. Okay. I thought, actually thought he and Magic, except for the trade of the big guy, did a very good job. People say, oh, well, they brought in all these one year contracts your contracts because they're done at the end of one year and that results in a great deal of cap space to build around LeBron. And remember, they were in fourth place in the West when LeBron and Lonzo Ball, who was playing terrific, went down at the same time. So the plan was working. It was working and it was building slowly. But you plan on a LeBron injury when you sign him? From the, this, the most important part of the season? Of course not. And then, you know what hit the fan when LeBron's crew started making noise about Anthony Davis, and that caused a train wreck. And the next thing you know, it's just a first-class mess, and Magic does what he does, and now it's turned into a nightmare because we're told by everyone who supposedly is in the know that the two people who are closest to Jeannie Rambis in terms of influence right now, besides Rob Lincoln, are Kurt and Jeannie, or excuse me, Kurt and Linda Rambis. And I loved Kurt Rambis as a Laker. I loved him as a Laker assistant coach. He was a miserable head coach with a horrendous record. And I don't want him making any decisions in regard to personnel. And even less do I want his wife being involved in making personnel decisions, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the front office, or whether it's the players. Now, what do I know? that Linda Rambis has to offer. And quite frankly, what do I know that Kurt Rambis has to offer in terms of building this franchise? So that's very disappointing when you have so many qualified candidates out there uh, that you could bring in 
to really bring this franchise into the modern age, uh, which I think it has a chance to do with the players it has and has an opportunity to get in the offseason because they have cap space. I truly believe that they are still only one second banana away from being uh, a playoff contender. And if they build the roster correctly around LeBron for the remainder of his contract with the Lakers and the second player they bring along with the young players, a shooter or two and a big man, I believe they have, I truly believe they have the potential to play for the conference finals next year if they don't run into Golden State before. Until then, Al, at least we have teams playing actual games to keep us preoccupied. It's always a pleasure. We'll get into more of those games next week. I'm sure the drama will continue to exist. We'll have the draft lottery is something to talk about. The NFL, nobody circles the wagons like them. And we're getting closer and closer to where people might actually care about us talking baseball. So that's nice to look forward to as well. Folks, that's Big John Tiny Lunge just said. Don't forget, tomorrow night, tune in your draft lottery. Keep an eye out for a cold envelope. One never knows how this this is going to unfold. You know, who's going to get the right to uh, design the line? And game one's conference finals coming up. Until next week, you know, for the one and only John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at SportsRadioAmerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.